In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In our Old Testament reading for today, Jacob is boxed in. He's boxed in by weariness and fear and dread. Because on the one hand, to the northeast, he has his father-in-law Laban, also his uncle, who he's been laboring for for the last 20 years. And while you can get the whole context of this if you read Genesis 30 and 31, suffice it to say they are not at a great place in their relationship, but they have brokered a rather uneasy peace. Jacob has left to go back to his ancestral land, the land of his father, and yet he has angered Laban and, his, and likewise Laban's sons, and so they've essentially brokered an uneasy peace where as long as Jacob doesn't cross the line and return, they won't go to war with each other. But Jacob is also boxed in, and he's profoundly weary because of this, because on the other way, to the west, you have the land of his brother, his brother Esau, who last he heard wanted him dead. Jacob has to pass through the land of this brother, whose blessing and birthright he took, both of which by less than honorable means. But in particular, he took the blessing. This is the one where he deceived his father Isaac into believing that he was Esau. The blessing that marked the one who received it as the one who would be the direct ancestor of the Messiah, the Savior. A blessing from God that Esau didn't particularly care about, didn't love nearly as much at that point, at least, as he loved the Canaanite women who despised his God. That's why 20 years ago, Jacob had to flee to Laban, the same guy that he can't return to now. So Jacob is boxed in on all sides, and he is profoundly weary and worn down and torn apart. Because on the one hand... He's surrounded by the misery of sin and death, both the sin that he's caused and the enemies that he's created, and the sins of others, the enemies that they have made of him through their own transgressions. But on the other hand, he has the promises of God. He has the promise that God would make him into a mighty nation and bless all the nations of the earth through him. He has the promise that he is, in fact, going to be the father of the Messiah who will bring salvation to the entire world. That's what Jacob is dealing with in our Old Testament reading for today. And so, what happens next? Well, this weary and confused and worn out Jacob goes off by himself, and he wrestles with what is initially called a man. And this quote-unquote man doesn't appear to fight clean. He touches Jacob's hip and puts it out of joint. Then Jacob tells him to let go of him. Tells him to the, rather, the man tells Jacob to let go of him, to stop fighting. But Jacob refuses until he receives the man's blessing. Now, what on earth is happening here? Well, everything comes together when Jacob identifies this supposed man as God himself the same God whom man should not be able to see and live, and yet Jacob lived. In other words, Jacob has wrestled with the pre-incarnate Son of God, the very same second person of the Trinity who will be Jacob's ancestor, his direct ancestor, when he takes on human, or his direct descendant rather, when he takes on human flesh 
and receives the name Jesus and blesses all the world, all nations of the world, through his death and resurrection. That's who Jacob is wrestling. And you don't have to think about it for very long before the beauty of this whole thing becomes almost overwhelming. Jacob is wearied to the depths of his soul because it looks like God has abandoned him to the ravages of sin, his own sin and the sin of the world. Everything around Jacob is screaming that God is not going to keep his promises. He is boxed in by, on every side by this fear and beaten down. Jacob is in agony because he's seeing death and destruction all around him, and he can't understand how God could possibly keep his promise of making him the father of the Christ. And how does God respond? By inviting Jacob to dig his fingers into the pre-incarnate Christ. When Jacob is terrified that God isn't going to keep his promise, God lets Jacob wrap his arms around the promise and pour out all of his fears and frustrations and sorrows into him. Likewise, when the Son of God touches Jacob's hip and puts it out of joint, what's he doing? Well, he's not really fighting dirty. Rather, he is training and strengthening Jacob through affliction. He's telling him, no matter what pain you feel, no matter what you see and hear, no matter how much evidence you think you have that I have abandoned you, I haven't. So don't abandon me. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Dig your fingers into me even harder. God is testing Jacob here. And when Jacob cries out, I will not let you go until you bless me, he shows that he has passed the test. And as his reward, he gets to hear the Son of God himself promise him that he will be Jacob's son as well. Despite being torn apart by his sins and the sins of the world, Jacob refuses to let go until God once again speaks that word of promise and comfort. So when you are boxed in, when the world is storming around you and your entire body is out of joint. Be like Jacob. Cling to that promise, no matter what. Like Jacob did with Laban, you have brokered an uneasy peace in this world. Broken an uneasy peace with your children who have rejected Christ and everything that you taught them to hold sacred. Peace is that they will let you be a part of their lives as long as you keep your mouth shut about the way that they've chosen to fill their lives with idols. Like Jacob and Laban, you've brokered an uneasy peace with those that you had conflict with. That you tell them that you won't try to destroy their reputations if they remain silent about yours. You can call that peace. But it's not really peace, and those are not people that you can flee to when this world is tearing you apart. Like Jacob did with Esau, you take advantage of people to enrich yourself and build yourself up. The people who once loved you then return the favor by despising you, by driving you out of their lives. 
And all of this you're boxed in at every side. You bury others under an avalanche of your selfishness. And they do the same thing to you in return. You abandon your friends when their lives get too ugly for your comfort. And your friends do the same when they can't endure the mess that comes with you. You hurt, you wound, you gnash your teeth at the world, and the world pays you back twofold, threefold, even three hundredfold. So you look at your life, and you just get overwhelmed with grief. Because you have, on the one hand, you have all these promises of God. God promised to be your Savior, promised to deliver you from temptation, promised to give you victory over this world, and yet this world is just grieving you and afflicting you, and you keep giving in to the same sins over and over again. You can't seem to find the strength, the strength to escape those familiar temptations. So you look at God and you're just saying to yourself, what, how is it possible that you haven't abandoned me? I'm filled with sorrow and grief all the time. The world's falling apart around me. What am I supposed to do? Well, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be like Jacob as he wrestled with God. So dig your hands into the flesh of Christ and refuse to let go. But in fact, do something even better. Dig your teeth into him. Today, Christ invites you to eat and drink his body and blood. He invites you to kneel at this altar and receive the sacrament he instituted on the night when he was betrayed. Today, Christ invites you to see that you are most certainly not boxed in because you belong to the God who destroys all boxes, all barriers, all sins, and sorrows, and suffering when he keeps his promises. And today, Christ invites you to watch him keep his promise when he invites you to consume the mercy that was won for you at Calvary. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here in these words that Jesus spoke at the cross, he promised you that the sins you poured out upon this world have been taken away forever. That they are no more through the blood that was poured out from his veins. All your deception, all your selfishness, your greed and anger and slander and cruelty, all your cowardice and abandonment, all of these transgressions were no more in the moment they came into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. They ceased to exist. They are no longer real, even if you can feel them burning through your flesh. These sins cannot condemn you or destroy you because they have been destroyed by the son of Jacob, the son of David, the son of God, who was consumed and condemned in your place. And just as Jesus spoke these words to you, he spoke them to everyone else. He spoke them to those who have boxed you in with their sins. He spoke these words to you even when those who used to love you had abandoned you. He spoke these words to those 
who, who destroyed you, who corrupted you, who have become embittered against you, spoke those words to those that you wanted to be your friends, but insisted on being your enemies. There with these words, Jesus promised you that no matter what you feel in this life, you cannot be buried or destroyed by the sins that he has destroyed and buried in his tomb. It is finished, Jesus declared at that same cross. And with these words, he promised you that he completed the task of winning your salvation, of being your savior, of making you worthy to receive the eternal victory over every sin that had boxed you in. He promised you that he was going to manifest that victory when he rose from the grave on the third day. And he did. Those are the promises of God. Those are the words of his blessing. In all my years as a pastor, I can only think of one time when I saw someone coming up to the rail overcome with sorrow and emotion and grief, weeping. I think I've only seen that once. And I have to say, that's kind of weird. Now, on the one hand, I get it, because most American Lutherans are of Germanic or Scandinavian stock, and we Germanic Scandinavian folks are rather guarded people who don't like big shows of emotion. We don't want people to pay attention to us when the tears are streaming down. But at the same time, this is rather disingenuous, because wrestling with God hurts. Dealing with the grief of your sins hurts. Dealing with the sorrows of this world hurts. When God afflicts you and tests you, it's a painful thing. It hurts to cling to the promises of God while your sins and all the sorrows of this world are trying to devour you. So if you're wrestling, don't be afraid to show it. And if your soul is wearied by this world of sorrows, if you are indeed boxed in by grief and pain, then keep wrestling. Wrestle as you walk your way up to this rail, as you kneel before the altar of God. And do what Jacob did. Refuse to let go until he blesses you. Because he will. So today, dig your teeth into Christ as you receive his body. Dig your teeth into his flesh in an even greater way than Jacob dug his fingers into the pre-incarnate flesh of Christ. Clench that wafer in your jaw and tell Jesus that you are not letting go until he once again speaks his word of promise, his word of salvation. And when you hear the words, the body of Christ given for you, know that he has spoken that promise and that blessing. When you take the cup, especially when you take that chalice, you have my permission to grasp it vigorously. Clench your fingers around that cup and refuse to let go until Christ blesses you. Pour out all of your sorrows into that cup as you 
receive it. All the grief you feel over the children who won't talk to you, who don't respect you. All the grief you feel over the people you've driven away and the grief you feel over the people who drove you away. Pour it out into that cup as that cup is poured out into your mouth and refuse to let go until Christ speaks his word of comfort. And when you hear the words, the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins, he has spoken those words. And when you hear them, know that you are at peace with God and that you have his victory over this world. No matter how out of joint you feel, no matter how little you can feel that peace or hear it or see it. So when you hear these words of blessing, when you receive Christ's body and blood and hear him once again speak his word of promise, then you can let go. You can't let go of Christ through faith, of course, but you can and should let go of all of your fears and your worries and your doubts. Because when you come into the physical presence of Jesus Christ, you have an even greater blessing than Jacob received in his moment of immense sorrow when he came into the presence of the pre-incarnate Christ. When Christ feeds you with his body and blood, you have the proof. You have a God who has not forgotten his promises. You have proof that he has destroyed your sins, and that he has given you victory over the sins of this world. No matter how much it may look or sound or feel like you are boxed in on every side by sin and death, you aren't, you can't be, because you have been boxed in on every side by the mercy and love and forgiveness and protection of Jesus Christ and his body and blood proved it to you. You have been taken out of this box of sorrow and through the body and blood of Jesus Christ you've been placed into the hands of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.